Hey, Substance Church, what is going on? This is Pastor Jimmy, Uncle Jimmy, and I am so glad to be with you all today. Well, I'm not actually with you today. We are dealing with a tropical storm. I've been in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was not able to get on the plane. The flights got delayed and canceled, and I wouldn't have gotten into like 2.15 a.m., which was 4.15 my time. And so guess what? I am so grateful for our amazing friends, pastors, Travis and Jackie Green and Forward City Church and their team, their production team. And so I'm going to preach the same message I was going to preach there live right here in Columbia, South Carolina. And whether you're watching online or whatever campus that you're watching at, I pray that today you be blessed through this word. Hey, before I jump in, can we take a second? Come on, let's put your hands together in honor your amazing pastors, Pastor Peter and Carolyn Haas, and just their family and the sacrifice that they have given for the vision of Substance Church. Irene and I count it as an honor that we get to be a part of all that God is doing, not just in your church, but through your church, all around the world. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today is this idea of world impact and what has God created you to do as a church to change the world, not just the church within the four walls, but the church that is inside of your heart. You all know, as I often say, that church doesn't start when service starts. Church starts when service is over because we don't go to church, Substance. We are the church. And today I'm going to preach from a very familiar passage of scripture in John chapter six. And, and we may call it, you know, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And maybe you've heard this story preached a thousand times or 5,000 times. I believe that there are some key kingdom nuggets in here that we can learn as a body of believers to live beyond ourselves in a way that changes the world. And it says this in John 6, it says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw the miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, which is very important. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, what did he ask? He said, where can we buy bread f- to feed all of these People. Key, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, Jesus, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that amongst all of these people? Telling everyone to sit down, Jesus said, Come on, somebody. So they all sat down and on the grassy slopes, the men numbered alone, numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and they ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so there's nothing wasted. So they picked up the, the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Long passage of scripture but famous passage of scripture. But I believe that there are some kingdom nuggets within this passage of scripture that we need to draw from, especially as we get behind the vision 
of a church. You know, many churches like yours, we've been talking about heart for the house and how to have a heart for the house. And you know that the Bible talks about that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And our heart is compared to where our treasure is. So today's Substance Church, I want to preach to you from a simple topic, but somewhat complex view of this story. I want to talk to you from the topic. It all depends on whose hands it's in. It all depends on whose hands it's in. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that today, God, that you blow our minds. God, more of you and less of us. I pray, God, that today someone be impacted, someone be inspired, someone come to the freeing power of Jesus Christ through this word in Jesus' name. And everybody said a good amen. It all depends on whose hands it's in Substance Church. What I have here is a golf club, and, and there are some of you from Substance Church that you are very familiar with this. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not great. One of the hardest games I think there is to play, but most rewarding games there are to play. Well, when I first started playing golf, I was terrible. In fact, I'm still terrible at times, but I love to go play golf with my son. And what I have here in my hand is a seven iron. Thank you for the Ford City team who went, come on, somebody to the Goodwill store and got this seven iron. Well, here's the thing. I hit my seven iron about 175 yards. When I hit it good, about 175 yards. And I remember one time I was playing with my son and we're up on a par three. A par three is, you know, it, it's, it, it, that's what we should get it in the hole in, in three strokes. And so I get up and I'm telling you, I hit this seven iron flush. It went 100, about 180 yards over the pin. It's on the green. I'm about 15 feet away from the hole for birdie. Well, Jaden, my son Jaden, uh, he's 20 years old. He takes out his seven iron and Jaden hits a seven iron and completely shanks it. Y'all, it went about 15 yards and he started looking at the club and he's like, Dad, there's something wrong with this club. And I was like, son, there's nothing wrong with the club. And, and, and then he says, well, let me try it again. He gets a ball out of his bag, did the same thing, but now to the other side. He shanked it. Now, here's the deal. He's a pretty good golfer, but something wasn't sinking up that day. And he said, Dad, there's something wrong with my club. So I grabbed his seven iron and I said, nothing is wrong with your seven iron. And I took his seven iron, boom, and I hit this shot. And I was about 20 feet away from the pin. It was beautiful. And Jaden learned a valuable lesson that day. What he learned is, is there was nothing wrong with the seven iron. It just depended on whose hands it was in. You see that seven iron in my hand? It was putting for birdie. But that seven iron in his hand, he wanted do-over after do-over, and it didn't result in a very good score. Substance Church, what I have come to discover in the body of Christ, that my life and my hands, it, it's not very successful. My finances, my resources, my skills, my gifts, my abilities in my hand, maybe there's an average outcome. But what I do know is there is a purposeless outcome. But once I put my gills, I mean my skills, my gifts, my talents, my abilities into the hands of God, it's like a birdie putt. Man, we go further, faster, 
where we find ourselves in our purpose, in our destiny. And what I have come to discover is my life, whether my life is valuable or unvaluable. It all depends on whose hands my life is in. Same goes for my resources and my finances. I've come across so many people. They've got the cars, they've got the house, they've got the resources, they've got the 401k, they, they've got the white you know, picket fence and, and everything they've ever dreamed of. And guess what? Like they were prosperous, but they find themselves purposeless. Prosperous, but purposeless. Why? Because their life in their hands has turned out to a life that's prosperous. But once they put their lives in the hands of God, it turns out to a life that's purposeful. A life that's not just prosperous, but purposeful. Not just a life that's filled up, but a life that's full filled. Full of faith, full of grace, full of favor. It all depends on whose hands it's in. You see, when we look throughout Scripture, there are so many of our biblical heroes that we can look at and says, man, like I'm talking about like Father Abraham. Do you know like, like my child, like Jaden, like he is my son and, 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 and his life in my hands and in my best efforts, I would do everything I can do to make him successful. But when I put well, when he puts his life in the hands of God, it becomes this amazing life. It's the same goes for Abraham. You know, Abraham uh, took his son and took his son Isaac out of his hands and put Isaac in the hands of God. And when Abraham did this, it changed the trajectory of mankind. It all depends on whose hands it's in. When we look at Moses, you know, Moses was known for having the staff. And you know, Moses using a staff, and, and you know what a staff in my hand? It'll help me walk. But a staff in the hand of Moses will part a red sea. It all depends on whose hands it's in. We can go on and on and look at David. David, you know, uh, we know the story of David and how he killed Goliath. And, and we know that he took these twigs and, and this rope. And, and, and you know, I, I'm not a survivalist, but I love to watch, you know, uh, survivor shows and, and all these shows where they're out in the woods and they got to figure out like how to cook and, and how to get water. And you know, what's essential is these ropes and these twigs. Well, those ropes and twigs in my hands, you know, it might start a fire. But those ropes and twigs in the hands of David turned into a slingshot, turned into a harp. David became a warrior and a worshiper, which shows me it all depends on whose hands it's in. <laughs> Same goes for our creator. My life in my hands, it can become a mess. Life in my hands can become this endless search for purpose and significance. But my life in the hands of Jesus can be filled with miracles, can be filled with purpose, can be filled with significance. It all depends on whose hands it's in. You see, when we look at this passage of Scripture, it is very important for us to understand the context of this passage. 
You see, understand, they said that it's Passover season. This is a yearly festival, and it's commemorating Israel's deliverance from Egypt. It's commemorating the, the firstborn of Egypt who, 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 had, who God divinely spared in the blood sprinkling over the doorposts of houses. A perfect lamb was sacrificed as a sign for God to pass over. The Israelites' door was painted with this blood and the death of, 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 of what could have been potentially the, you know, the firstborn. It was passed over. So now huge crowds are following Jesus. It's Passover season. And these crowds are coming to follow Jesus. And I think it's important for us to understand something about these crowds. They weren't hungry. Mm -mm. These crowds weren't trying to go to Chick-fil-A. These crowds weren't to, you know, trying to go to Popeye's or, or Taco Bell or McDonald's. These crowds were following Jesus because they caught wind and they got news that there was a Savior who was out in these streets healing people. And Jesus was attracting crowds. And all those scriptures says that there was about 5,000, or maybe we know this as the feeding of the 5,000. Well, there's a good likelihood that it was about 20,000 because they only counted men. And on average, it was about four people per household. So there's, imagine, 20,000 people following Jesus. Have you ever been to a concert? Have you ever been to somewhere where there's a big crowd? I'll never forget the time I went to go see Tiger Woods play golf years and years ago. And crowds were following Tiger Woods. People were getting in trees trying to just get a glimpse of Tiger. I mean, you just blend it into the crowd. I'll never forget how, how I just felt like one of many, one of 20,000 people. Pastor, why are you talking to us about the size of the crowd? Because as I look at this passage of Scripture, I don't just look at this as a method to, to, to get invited to a buffet. I look at this as a method of multiplication. And I believe that there's something very powerful about the method of multiplication. Pastor, what are you talking about? It all depends on whose hands it's in. What we see first is, number one, if you're taking notes, we see the miracle or the potential of the miracle. Number one, in the hands of the boy. <laughs> Mark 6, 37 and 38 says this from the New Living. But Jesus said, you feed them with what they asked. We, we've worked for months. We'd have to work for months to get enough food for all of these people. How much bread do you have, Jesus asked. Go find out. Wow. Go find out. It's crazy to me that Jesus is on the verge of doing one of the biggest miracles ever. But he doesn't want to do it by himself. He, he doesn't want to take all the credit. He, he wants to involve his disciples. Can I just encourage you that you may think it's somebody else's job? Can I just encourage you that you may think, man, somebody else can do it? Yeah, and maybe you've been praying for a miracle. Maybe you've been sitting between a prayer and a promise. Can I encourage you, Substance Church, that Jesus wants to involve you in the miracle? We find that by looking at it in the hands of the boy. Here's what I wondered. Amongst 20,000 people, how 
did they notice this boy? Was this Shaquille O'Neal? Was this a seven-foot little boy? No, 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 no. How did they notice this boy? Did he stand a, a, a head taller? Did he have what attracted this little boy? What set him apart? I remember being in that crowd with Tiger Woods, and the only one that everyone was looking at was Tiger. In this crowd, the only one that everyone was looking at was Jesus. How did they find this boy? I believe... They found this boy because of something I want to encourage you to live by. It's actually a principle that I live by personally in my life. And it kind of goes like this. I want to be known more for what I give away than what I keep. I want to be known more for what I give away than I keep. Here's another thought. If you live an open-handed life, God will keep your hands full. Let me say that again. If you live an open-handed life, God will keep your hands full. In the hands of this little boy whose theologians say might be 14 years old. He is a street peddler. His mama fixed him that lunch. That lunch was probably all he had for the day. But he, that little boy was willing to share all that he had. Can I encourage you, Substance Church, this little boy shows me that your last could be the first for a next in your life. If you're willing to sacrifice what you have, God is willing to multiply what you give him. I feel like preaching right now. This little boy got discovered because he got up with this idea that everything belongs to God. I love how Jesus involves him in the miracle. Jesus wants to involve you in the miracle. This is what having a heart for the house is all about. This is what uh, being generous is all about. This is what it means to live an open-handed life. This is how this boy was discovered. Could it be that God is looking for you, but he's just looking for you to open your hands and let go of your gifts, your talents, your skills, your abilities, and your resources? Uh, what I would love for you to do is repeat this thought after me. It's something that I have to do constantly to remind myself that everything in my hands belongs to God. And I want to back this up by Psalms 24.1 that says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all its people belong to him. So repeat this after me. Say, we are owners of nothing. Come on, we are owners of nothing. We are owners of nothing. And here's the second part. We are managers of everything. We are owners of nothing and managers of everything. And it is my job to steward the gifts, talents, skills, and abilities that God has given me and give it back to him. <laughs> this miracle, these, this, you know, uh, 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 five biscuits and two fish goes a long way. But it goes from the boy's hands, number two, to Jesus' hands. We have to learn how to take what we have and put it into the hands of the one who is in control of all things. John 6, 10 and 11 says, tell everyone Jesus said to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. 
Verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them. Afterwards, he did the same thing with the fish. Jesus, he, he understood something. This little boy understood something. He understood that this isn't worth much in my hands. But if I can just exchange this and put it in the hands of Jesus, it's going to be worth far more than it being in my hands. Now, I don't encourage gambling and I don't encourage going to a casino. But I remember when I was in Bible college. Yes, God is still working on me. And I went to a casino. And guess what? I had a little bit of cash in my pocket. Come on. I got an allowance. Had some cash. You know what they made me do in this casino? My cash was no good in the casino. What I had to do was exchange my cash for coins, chips. It had no value in my pocket. But once I gave it to them, they gave me back something that was valuable in their economy, in their system. In other words, there was a currency exchange. And if you understand this and you've ever gone to Chuck E. Cheese, come on, somebody. You'll take that money out. I remember having my kids and the first time I went to Chuck E. Cheese and I'm giving them $10 and they go put my $10 in a machine. What happened to that machine? That machine kicks out coins that only work in Chuck E. Cheese. My $10 doesn't work in Chuck E. Cheese for all of those games. Only the coins that have Chuck E. Cheese on it. Can I encourage you that when you give your gifts, talents, skills, abilities, and resources, and you take it and give it to Jesus, there's a currency exchange that happens. And that money, guess what? It may cause you to become a king in the secular realm, but in the kingdom realm, it moves from king to kingdom. That's what happens when we take our resources and put it in the hands of Jesus. That's what happens when we say, Jesus, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. My life belongs to you. We're saying, God, there's a currency exchange. We're saying that, guess what, guys? Finances is the currency of earth, but faith is the currency of heaven. When you give your time, your talents, your gifts, and your resources, and you put it in the hands of Jesus, a currency exchange happens and what is natural becomes supernatural. What you thought was ordinary becomes extraordinary when you put it in the hands of Jesus. Matthew 6.33 says what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and why? And he will give you everything you need. When I seek God, man, when I take my life, when I take my finances, when I take my staff, when I take my resources, when I take what what I think is successful and I give it to Jesus, guess what? God, you're putting for birdie, baby. When I give it to Jesus, guess what, guys? You're on the green and one. When I give it to Jesus, guess what, guys? You 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 are in the sweet spot of God's presence. Five fish and two loaves in the boy's hands could have been breakfast, lunch, or dinner. But five fish, I'm sorry, five loaves and two fish in the hands of Jesus was worth a miracle. 
that boy's lunch went from in his hands to Jesus' hands. Now watch what Jesus does to it. He puts it in the hands of the, of the disciples. Check it out. In Matthew 14, 19, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. I'll never forget when I was first pastor, my, my daughter Maya, you know, she, she's in kids' church, and maybe she's like between eight and ten at the time. And I'll never forget on the way to church this question. She said, Dad. I said, what? She goes, does God have a bank account? I said, huh. She says, I see you give money in, in those red buckets and in the offering. And I said, wow, that's a good question. You see, in her mind, she wanted to say, man, what is this doing, Dad? Every week you give in these red buckets. What's going on? And we had these red buckets because the color of our church was much, much like your substance, that red and you know, I believe it's the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I said, maybe, no, no, no. Baby, God does have a bank account. It's called his church. And what happens is, is when we give the natural gift to a church, it gets in his economy and his currency, and it becomes life change. And Substance Church, all the people that you are feeding, all of the missions that you are doing, all the churches that you are planting, all the people that you are reaching in your city, guess what? Substance Church is like God's bank account. And guess what? It yields dividends. It yields destiny. It yields revelation. It yields the supernatural because what God is doing, he moves it from the boy's hands to Jesus' hands to the disciples' hands to our hands. He gives it back. And he's saying distribute it. Distribute it to all the people. It says in Matthew 4, 19, I want to read this. And then he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Wow. He gave a gift to the disciples. He gave a resource to the disciples and the disciples Gave it to the people. That's the church. That's the church when we say the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a church. Uh, that's not a church on a block. That's actually a city on a hill that are not going to be hidden to people that are lost. And people that need the freeing power of Jesus Christ. I'll never forget this guy. Me and Irene, we started our church in, in 2011. And we had this idea to do a track club. And we're like, we're going to do this track club, and I've talked about this before. And we're, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to gather youth and students and young people off the street and, and in the community, and they're going to run for Jesus. Come on, somebody. I don't know if you can tell, I wasn't the sprint coach. And don't y'all dare laugh. Come on, I ate my way out of that position. <laughs> and Marvin Davis was a businessman in our church, and he became a really good friend. And I remember when God gave me this vision, I sat down with Marvin Davis and I began to tell him the vision of our track club. And I had never received a gift before from a businessman, uh, uh, not outside of church. Normally they were given in church. And after I told Marvin this vision, how I saw track and field and, and, and students and athletes and, 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 and some students and, and young people who were fatherless running for Jesus and finding purpose and significance, Marvin Davis wrote me a $2,500 check. 
not me personally, wrote the church. And he slid it across the table. And that vision went from my hands to Marvin's heart, to the hands of Jesus. And man, I was talking to some of our athletes last week. Almost 47 kids have gotten Division I college scholarships. Many of them have come to the freeing power of Jesus Christ and given their lives and their family have found freedom in Christ. Marvin had no idea that shortly after him writing that check, he would go to be home with Jesus. He passed away suddenly, my good friend. And I remember at his funeral just saying to myself, Marvin, God's going to do a miracle with that gift. And seeing those kids run track, and now with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok, seeing those kids still running in college, some of them are, could even qualify for the next Olympics and run for our country. What was God doing? God was making a miracle out of a moment. God was going to bring glory to that gift. And what he did that day is he put the miracle in the hands of Marvin, who was a disciple. And he began to distribute it. And because of that, I believe one day in heaven, when it's all said and done, there are going to be track athletes that run up to Marvin and said, thank you for living an open-handed life. In the hands of the boy, in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of the disciples, and lastly, Substance Church, in the hands of the hungry. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. And afterwards, he did the same thing with the fish, and they ate as much as they wanted. Because it all depended on whose hands it's in. Substance Church, when I started this message, I brought out a very distinct thing that I found in the middle of the sermon. Those people didn't come and follow Jesus because they were hungry. They followed Jesus because they were hurting. They wanted a miracle, not a meal. Come on, somebody. They wanted God to fix their infirmities, not fill their stomach. Pastor, why are you saying this? Because there's a world out there who is hungry. In Matthew, uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, uh, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 and 36, it says, For I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in uh, uh, to your home. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison, and you cared for me and visited me. And verse 40 says, and the king will say, I will tell you the truth. When you did it for the least of these, you were doing it unto me. How does God want to change the trajectory of the food deserts in the city? You. 
How does God want to reach people all around the world, not just in Minnesota, but all around the world, you? How does God want to fix the divorce rate in the city and the foster kid issue in the city, you? How does God want to fix racism and the crime issues, you? How does God want to do it? You, 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 you feed them. That's what Jesus told the disciples. I could feed them, but you feed them. Because when you did it to the hungry, watch this now, not only was he going to meet their natural hunger, he was gonna meet their supernatural hunger. You see, they didn't come hungry, but they left fixed and fed. I feel like preaching right here. Fixed and fed. That boy did not hand his lunch to some disciples. He handed his lunch to a new destiny for a whole group of people who showed up to get fixed, but they ended up getting fed. That's how you got here. Your marriage needed fixed. Your confidence needed fixed. Your emotional wounds needed fixed. And you came here, God fixed me. But God fed you. Spoke to your soul. Fed your purpose. Fed your destiny. Now it's our turn. Substance Church, I want to encourage you. <laughs> it is time for us to take our time, our talent, our treasure, and our resources out of our hands and put it in the hands of Jesus. It all depends on whose hands it's in. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray right now for everyone who's listening to this message at every campus, everyone who might listen to this message at another campus. And I pray, God, or maybe later on YouTube, I pray that the anointing that I feel right now, because of weather in a different state, that it would change people all around the world. I pray, God, that people would come to the freeing power of your son, Jesus. Because, God, you can do so much more with our lives in your hands than we could ever do with our lives in our own hands. Substance Church, it all depends on whose hands it's in. Until next time, church, I love you so much. I hope to be with you physically again soon. God bless you.